You know, it's called the Stanford Axe, and it always will be. But right now, it belongs to Cal. Bears win the 124th big game, and they do it in blowout fashion. And that's what we're here to discuss on this episode of the TreeCast with Troy Clarity on the Believe Podcast Network. I'm indeed Troy Clarity. Hey there, hi there, ho there. Glad that you're with us on Sunday, November 21st. 2021 um, Saturday evenings result aside hope you are still having a great weekend and are doing well in the grand scheme of things and we're going to try to get through it sort through the things that we saw uh, on Saturday evening as the Bears this is their Super Bowl man <laughs> you, 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 I'm, sure that, I'm sure you know some Cal fans out there and they look forward to big game more than anything else on the planet and Cal loves beating Stanford more than anything else on the planet. And uh, there were a lot of a lot of happy Bears folks around Stanford Stadium. Well after the game was done, I left the place like, what, an hour and 15 after the game was over? They were still trying to clear out the stadium and get folks out of there. So the party was on for old blues. Not so much for Stanford fans who went silently into the eucalyptus curtain night. And they're going to try to... Get one in the win column before the end of the season. I'm Troy Clarity, by the way. Uh, 29th season of following Stanford football overall. Uh, eighth year of uh, Pac-12 Network play-by-play, which continues with volleyball later on this week. Looking forward to that. You're going to hear from Stanford head coach David Shaw. You are going to hear from two guys who it was nice to see back on the field. Quarterback Tanner McKee, who missed the previous two games before coming back with his lower leg, with his lower body injury. And Jonathan McGill, who made his season debut and was in on a couple big plays, both positive and in the not-so-positive sense. Jonathan McGill making his season debut, so you're going to hear from him, Tanner McKee, and David Shaw as well, as uh, we all try to pick up the pieces from what happened uh, in the 124th big game. My 19th big game in person, and I'm 12-7, and which is still a really good record. <laughs> I'd much rather Stanford be 13-6 and right now. Um, in those 19 big games that I've seen with my own eyes. And it took a while, but the Bears just blew up Stanford's defense. And the Cardinal squandered early scoring chances. Cal led 14-3 at the half, and then they just hit the afterburners in the second half and did so in historic fashion. Offense, Stanford, Stanford's offense did not help out the defense. And the defense... Didn't help out the offense. It's as simple as that. Well, it's a bit more complex. Well, we'll break it down deeper throughout the course of the show, beginning with three things you need to know from Big Game. But first, this reminder that Bet Online is back and better than ever. A new web interface for the start of basketball season and more props, odds, and lines than ever before. Bet Online remains your number one spot for all the basketball and football action this season. Head to the new updated desktop or mobile website to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Just use the promo code BELIEVE50, that's B L E A V 50, to receive your bonus. From basketball, football, NHL, boxing, and UFC to your favorite Vegas casino games, don't wait to take advantage of all the amazing offers available for the 2021 season. Bet Online is the fastest and easiest way to bet all your favorite sports. Bet Online where the game starts. 
basketball and football. Well, men's basketball didn't do so well against the Bears on Saturday either as they got blown out uh, at Baylor uh, on, on Saturday. Hey, Stanford men's polo beat men's water polo beat Cal. So there you go. One out of three against the Bears uh, for Stanford on Saturday. But uh, the big event, the main event between the Cardinal and the Bears was, of course, on the football field. Stanford could not come away with big game. Three things you need to know from that result, starting with number one. And it could have been 14-0 Stanford, at least early in the second quarter. That was the key. That was the key that set up the entire uh, situation for the remainder of the game. Offense did not help out the defense by getting the points early. On its second and third possessions of the game, Stanford had fourth and goal at or inside the Cal 5. Both times Stanford went for it. Both times Stanford came away empty. David Shaw reacting on those outcomes with, with regret. Looking back, probably too aggressive. Uh, first, first few drives, we got down there inside the five-yard line. Went forward on fourth down. Um, knowing that they're a good football team, knowing that they were going to come back. You know, had a chance to go up 14-0. Uh, and didn't get you one of those. Tough shot, you know. Took our shot. Uh, didn't do well enough. Too aggressive on my part. Yeah, we'll go more in depth on this later in the show, including something that Tanner McKee said that that got my attention when he said it, and it it nearly confirmed the suspicion that I had at that time as things were unfolding in real time. But look, it basically comes down to this: Cal had the right answers, especially on one play in particular, while Stanford came up with the wrong answer, especially on another play in particular. Could have been 14-0. It wasn't. And then it wasn't 14, well, it was 14-0 for Cal later on, but that's a different story. Let's move on to number two. And after showing some signs of improvement at Oregon State and making some big early plays against Cal, Stanford's defense collapsed. It collapsed. I mean, what else can you call it when a defense allows an 84-yard passing touchdown for Cal's first score, a 76-yard touchdown run, and a 75-yard run all in the same game. 636 yards allowed, all told by Stanford. That's a big game record, and is the eighth most allowed by Stanford ever. Cal's first score came early in the second quarter when Chase Garbers hit Trayvon Clark on a simple in route. Clark broke Jonathan McGill's tackle, and he was gone. There was nobody else there. 84 yards, touchdown Bears. McGill told us what happened on that play. I had, had bad leverage on myself. Um, receivers stemmed me inside. I got to stay inside, do my job um, at the end of the day. So, you know, pass rush did their thing. Um, everybody else did their thing, but you know when one guy's out of position, um, you know it can result in a touchdown. So that that one's on me. Um, got to stay, got to use my leverage, stay consistent, do my job, um, and then that wouldn't happen. That's Jonathan McGill. And uh, last week we were talking about the game against Oregon State and that result, largely being death by paper cuts for the Stanford defense. Beavers didn't get too many big plays against the Cardinal in Corvallis, so it was largely death by paper cuts for the Stanford defense against Oregon State. Well, this week, Cal gashed open some big wounds early and often. And in this game, those wounds proved fatal. Let's wrap it up with number three. 
And with Stanford returning a handful of key players from injury, quarterback Tanner McKee, safety Jonathan McGill, uh, inside linebacker Ricky Miezon, uh, among a bunch of others, and, and Cal returning from its COVID protocol-related problems, I've had a feeling that this game might get off to a ragged start. <laughs> Boy, did it. Second play of the game, McKee underthrows a deep ball to Bryce Farrell that got picked off. The next play, which was Cal's first play from scrimmage on, on, the, on the entire game, Damian Moore fumbles, recovered by Caillou Blue Kelly, who was also returning from missing the Oregon State game. Stanford's next drive ended with its first failed fourth and goal opportunity, while Cal's next drive ended with a pick in the end zone by McGill. So the first quarter went, in some respects, even more ragged than I thought it might. How was Tanner McKee feeling in that first quarter? I mean, at the beginning of the game, I, I, I thought everything was good. Um, I thought we had a really good week of practice. Um, maybe at the beginning of the week, I had to kind of knock off a little rust, but uh, throughout the week, I feel like it was all gone. I felt pretty good and felt very prepared for the game. That's Tanner McKee, and, and yeah, both Stanford and Cal came out a bit rusty. And if you remember, I thought that the first telling point of the game would be which team shakes off the rust first and starts making game-winning plays. And eventually, after taking about 15 minutes, that team was Cal. Boy, was it. Cal gets the X back. Never like to see that as a sample team. Those are three things. A couple numbers from the game. Tanner McKee, 27 of 44, 247 yards, no touchdowns and two interceptions. The lone touchdown scored by Austin Jones early in the fourth quarter. That came on the ground to, at that point, uh, make it 27 to 11 uh, before uh, the Bears got uh, two uh, touchdowns uh, to close things out in the fourth quarter. Uh, Stanford running backs, 20 carries, 53 yards. That's it. Long of eight yards. That's the combined output of Austin Jones, Nathaniel Pete, and E.J. Smith. Good to see him back as well, by the way. And uh, Mike Wilson, uh, Stanford's leading receiver with seven catches for 73 yards. Um, one defensive number that I will I, I will bring up here, a, uh, a team number. Uh, Stanford is a team uh, uh, accredited with only three tackles for loss. Two of those tackles for loss came very late in the fourth quarter. They only had one tackle for loss during the competitive phase of the game and, and really even stretching into much of the fourth quarter. And we'll get to the offensive side of the ball and, and a deeper dive on what happened there in a moment or so. But, but I got to talk defense. When it was 20-3 to late in the third quarter and Stanford had just punted from the Cal 41, uh, I, I wrote in my notes as I was tracking the game, man, Stanford can only hold Cal to threes for so long. They can only keep forcing the Bears to kick field goals for so long. And, you know, indeed, by that point, Cal had spent the third quarter going on long drives, then committing silly penalties and kicking field goals. So that, that's why I wrote what I wrote. They can only hold, hold Cal to, to field goals for so long. And sure enough, right after, right after I typed that note into my laptop, Marcel Dancy took a handoff, went weak side, and went virtually untouched for 76 yards and a touchdown. 27-3 Cal, and good night, everybody. That was it. That was it. And that play, that touchdown run, punctuated a, a, a stanza 
in which Stanford allowed 249 yards of offense in the third quarter alone. In all, Cal ran for 352 yards on route to its 636-yard total, but 352 yards rushing in total. Second only this season to the 441 yards rushing that Utah rolled up on Stanford a couple weeks ago. The, the rush defense looked like it had improved slightly up in Corvallis. The four-man front seemed to kind of steady things slightly, but it took major steps back against the Bears. Stanford safety Jonathan McGill on what went wrong in rush defense this week. I said in an interview earlier with Troy earlier this week, um, you know, the two keys to the game for myself and, you know, for our defense was going to be tackling um, and then on offensively blocking. But um, tackling, um, anytime you, you know, leave any good back or any back with, you know, arm tackle, it's not going to cut it in the Pac-12. Um, so tackling has been an issue. Um, for our defense, um, and then obviously just execution as players. We, we got to execute the assignments that coach puts us in no matter what look. It might be tough, it might be hard, but at the end of the day, you're expected to do your job, do your 111th, um, and that's something that you know our team has consistently needs to do more. Um, we've done it at times, you've seen it, um, and at other times we haven't, and you know that's when you give up 90, 80, 70, 60 yard pops. Um, for a run so just execution is something that we got to do better that's Jonathan McGill and uh, hey thanks thanks for the shout out Jonathan I, I appreciate that but yes yes it, it was tackling once again and this wasn't something that cropped up late in the game right when teams get tired and worn down and their, their tackling techniques start to start to fall by the wayside in the second half of no uh-uh, no this this was this was something that was happening almost Right away, Cal's first quarter drive after Stanford got stopped at the Bears' one-yard line, Cal picked up two easy first downs to get out of the shadow of their end zone. Easy first downs. Later on, on third and one, Jordan Fox has the run stopped in the backfield, but Christopher Brooks bounced off of him for seven yards, picks up the first down to the Cal 43. Later in the drive, safety, safety Noah Williams comes in on a backside blitz. But he doesn't wrap up Chase Garbers. Garbers picks up 25 yards and gets to the Stanford 13. That drive ended on McGill's interception in the end zone, but, but, but the tone had already kind of been set with the missed tackles that we saw just on that initial drive alone. Then McGill missed the tackle that led to the 84-yard touchdown. Started the second half, Stanford went back to that four-man front they had availed against Oregon State that helped limit some of the damage. But on the very first play, inside linebacker Jacob mangum Farrar has Brooks in the backfield for a one-yard loss, but mangum Farrar can't wrap up. It's admittedly hard to tackle when one of your hands is in the cast. And then Brooks rumbled for 24 yards after shedding mangum Farrar and leaving him in the backfield and leaving everybody else in the dust. 24-yard pickup on the first play from scrimmage in the second half when Stanford goes to his four-man front. And that's when the floodgates really opened. So, missed tackling was a problem. Again. Stanford opponents being able to recover from bad down and distances and turning first and long or second and long into third and manageable and then first down, that happened again. And... Once again, 
Stanford's defense fails to pin their opponents deep in their own territory. We did a deep dive on this in the post-Oregon State episode last week, and it looks like i gotta got to update the numbers as far as that trend is concerned. But, but specifically, when tied just to this game by itself, Cal started four drives inside their own 10-yard line. Their own one, their own five, their own six, and their own three. How'd those drives end? 80 yards and an interception, 95 yards and a touchdown. That's the fifth 90-plus yard touchdown drive Stanford's allowed this year, by the way. 13 yards and a punt and 81 yards and a field goal. So on average, on those four drives, Cal started at their own four. And on average, Cal finished those drives at the Stanford 29, which is pretty much on par with what the Stanford defense has done in that category all year. Entering the game against Cal, Stanford had allowed their opponents when they pinned them deep, pinned them deep, you know, pinned them deep inside their own 15-yard line. You know, Stanford's opponents generally started at around their own seven-yard line, but ended those drives at the 30 on 13 instances entering the, entering the big game. So that's pretty much on par with what the Stanford defense has done all year. And Stanford's attempts to play field position and defense failed again. It gets the field position, but it doesn't get the defense, and then it loses the field position. So many of the disturbing trends that, that, that Stanford carried into the Cal game on defense continued for yet another week. Let's get to the offense. And the story here, of course, the early opportunities that Stanford had to perhaps take a 14-0 lead by early second quarter. First situation, Stanford had third and goal from the, from the Cal 11. McKee throws a quick pass right at the line of scrimmage to John Humphreys, who has enough room, the Cal defense was giving him enough cushion, to take it to the Cal two-yard line. Now, I was scratching my head at that, at that call initially a little bit as the play unfolded, but once Humphreys got to the two, I figured, okay, that's a call to set a fourth down and either just kick the field goal, or if it's close enough, Shaw's going to go for it if, if it's close enough. Sure enough, fourth and goal at the two, officially called the two. I thought it was more like the three. McKee tried to sneak it but got stopped at the one-yard line. Second situation, third and goal at the three. McKee looked like he wanted to hit Mike Wilson, who was dragging across the line of scrimmage, but he was covered. So he ate the ball for a two-yard loss. Then on fourth and goal from the Cal 5, McKee threw one too high for Ben Urosik in the back of the end zone. After the game, I asked David Shaw to take us through those third and fourth down calls, on both of those drives. It's been no secret what we've done around here for going on 15 years. Um, we're going to take some shots with our big guys outside. Um, and we're going to try to run the ball. A um, couple things we tried to do getting on the edge. Uh, they had a couple of nice plays by them. Didn't let us get on the edge. And uh, we missed, you know, I'm not saying Tanner missed, but we missed each other a couple times. Um, and out down there, it's all timing. 
It's all trust and consistency. And uh, we miss each other. So fourth down, uh, both times, try to call plays that we felt good about. You know, one ended up being a bad call. The other one probably could have, if it was executed better, had a chance. Yeah, and, and you could see those things there. You could see that thought process there. And we'll, we'll dive into it here in a moment. But, but obviously the one bad call was the sneak. Question was, who made the call? Tanner McKee with a somewhat surprising revelation when he was asked if the sneak was something that he audible to. Kind of went to the line uh, with a couple of different plays. Um, kind of ran down. Uh, the play clock was running down. Got set pretty late. Um, so just had to kind of pick a play and kind of roll with it. Yeah, when that play happened, after it was done, I wondered, I didn't, oh, I didn't like the sneak call, number one, but... I also wanted to see and find out whether McKee maybe had an option to throw it based on the coverage that Cal might have been showing and either didn't take it, didn't see it, or just tried to surprise everyone with the sneak. Sometimes that happens. But it looks like McKee audibled to the sneak in that situation. Now, whether trying the sneak should have even been an option with the ball just beyond the two is a very valid question. And you heard Shaw say in that in that soundbite that we played just a couple minutes ago, you heard Shaw say, we missed each other a couple of times. And I'm taking that to mean that Shaw and McKee missed each other a couple of times. So, so maybe some lines got crossed in that exact moment. Regardless, that was the wrong answer in that situation. And in the second goal-to-goal situ- situation, Cal came up with the right answer. On third down, Wilson coming in motion from right to left, McKee taking the snap, bootlegging to the left, and it looked like he wanted to hit Wilson as as Wilson continued dragging along the line of scrimmage. But Wilson was covered, and Cal's defense gave McKee no other options. So he had to eat the ball for a two-yard loss. Cal's defense might not be as much of a big play defense. It might not exactly have as many you know, marquee players and star players as it might have had at times over the past couple of years, but they're still a pretty well-coached squad. And if you listen to our big game preview episode, you heard Shaw talk about how hard the Bears make it to score in the red zone. Shaw, very well aware of that. And you you might remember uh, that audio we played. Well, the Bears were all over that play, all over it. Forced a fourth and goal. When McKee misconnected with Ben Urosik, and then four plays later, the Bears took a lead that, as it turned out, they would not relinquish. So McKee missed Urosik on fourth down, on that fourth down play. And you heard Shaw talk about McKee missing some things, be it between he and Shaw, and also missing some receivers as well. Well, there's certainly one miss from McKee that Tanner's certainly going to want to have back. I'll take you to the late third quarter. Cal ahead 20-3, but Stanford's still somewhat in the game with Cal spending the third quarter to that point kicking field goals. But Stanford's still somewhat in it. First and 10 from its own 43 for Stanford. McKee holds the ball a little bit, gets pressured, and finally has has to dump it off to Austin Jones. Pass ball's incomplete, but Cal gets called for roughing the passer on the play. But what McKee missed, and it wasn't because of the pressure, was Bryce Farrell starting slot left, 
running a post across the field and heading uncovered to a wide open half of the field. It was there. McKee didn't see him. That would have been an easy, easy 57-yard touchdown and would have made it 20-10. to 10. And who knows? Who knows what directions that game might have taken from there? Instead, incomplete pass, even though the penalty, and, Cal, and Stan, Stanford later on ends up punting from the Cal 41. Some of McKee's struggles were Cal's doing. I mean, the other team is trying to win, too. I sometimes have to have to remind folks of that. After the game, Tanner tipped his cap to the Bears defense. There are multiple times where they showed uh, one coverage pre-snap and then switched post-snap to a different coverage, um, and they disguised it very well. Um, and so I just thought um, the mix of those two with them making plays, not missing tackles, um, and then disguising, I thought, I thought they played a really good game. Yeah, yeah, they did. They did. And that's Tanner McKee. And, and, and McKee, McKee made some good throws. Some absolute darts, a beautiful drop in the bucket to Ben Urosik to set up Stanford's first goal-to-go opportunity. And McKee brought back a truly dangerous passing element that Stanford just had not had the last couple of weeks. Just, it just wasn't there. It was back with McKee. The drive that led to Stanford's second fourth down failure was one of Stanford's best drives in probably over a month. Lots of formations, lots of personnel groupings, Stanford going heavy, Stanford spreading them out, Stanford staying on schedule, Stanford getting back on schedule, having seven different guys touch the ball and getting an opportunity to score. That was a nice little drive until the very end. There were plays to be had for McKee, to make and he didn't make enough of them rust don't know but the same can be said for just about everyone in the stanford uniform and so here we are again here we are again talking about an offense that saves its biggest mistakes for the most for the most crucial moments talking about a defense that just cannot make tackles just can't and a team that overall is, is desperate, super desperate now for a win. They only got one shot at it left now before the end of the season. As the Cardinal have now dropped six in a row, six straight, from three and two and beating the number three team in the country to this. So who's Stanford facing? this? Oh, oh Notre Dame. Oh, they're a top 10 team. Oh, they hammered Georgia Tech 55 nothing. Hmm. Well, hopefully with the Cal fans storming the field, <laughs> hopefully that, 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 that slows down the track a little bit <laughs> for Saturday and, and maybe, maybe makes it a bit more of a, of, of, of a speed, uh, an even speed advantage perhaps. Who knows? I don't know. And I know this. Uh, Notre Dame's head coach, Brian Kelly, he loves complaining about the Stanford Stadium turf. He does it every single time the Irish come out this way. And look, it's always the last game of the year, and it's always coming off the heels of Stanford playing big game the week before. So Brian Kelly loves complaining about the Stanford Stadium turf. Oh, boy, he's going to love it this year, Jack. <laughs> he's going to love it this year. 
<sighs> boy. So Stanford, Notre Dame, this upcoming Saturday, 5 p.m. kickoff. And we're going to have an odd posting schedule this week with it being the Thanksgiving holiday. So our preview episode that normally comes at you on Thursday will come at you on Wednesday. We'll aim to get that to you on, uh, on Wednesday morning. And the oddities will continue for the rest of the week for our for our wrap-up show, for our for our review show, our review episode, uh, because with the 5 p.m. kickoff, I've got Pac-12 Network Volleyball duty in Berkeley that evening. So I'm actually not going to be at the game on Saturday. I'm going to have to do play a little catch-up and watch the game myself on Sunday. So that means we'll probably come your way after the game on Monday instead. Boy, I was hoping for that 12.30 p.m. kickoff slot for Stanford-Notre Dame on Saturday. That would have that would have made it nice. Would have made it easy. Could have done could have done the double header. But no. So we'll come at you on Wednesday and then likely on Monday this upcoming week. As always, I welcome your thoughts on Stanford football and anything Stanford related. That's what we do here on this podcast. That's what we do here on this show and we do it better than anybody else in the audio space in my in my biased and subjective opinion, hashtag TreeCast, hashtag TreeCast is the way to go there. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Troy Clarity with the last name spelled C L A R D Y. Cal wins forty-one to eleven, and look, I, I I don't have as much animosity towards Cal as 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 many of you might out there listening. I mean, look, I I came up. I'm class of 97, right? So that's right around the time when when things started changing a little bit in the rivalry. And if if you were there, you know, back when Stanford Cal was a was a guaranteed sellout where there were zero empty seats in the stadium, no matter what the attendance figures said. And if you go back to if you're walking out of the stadium back in 1982, just feeling dejected. Hey, I understand. I totally get it. I totally get why Cal, uh, you might, might might think Cal is still Stanford's number one rival. Um, I, I suspect that, and we've talked about this, I suspect that the younger generation of Stanford fans probably consider USC and maybe even Oregon as a bigger rival than Cal is. And I don't quite harbor the animosity that towards Cal that 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 many Stanford fans might and heck I you know I don't mind seeing Cal succeed on some levels hey if they go 11 and 1 every year all right okay but that one better be against Stanford and I was right there when the axes changed hands I wasn't thrilled I wasn't thrilled to see it and looking forward to Stanford getting it back hopefully as soon as next year in Berkeley you heard from David Shaw, you heard from Tanner McKee, and you heard from Jonathan McGill. Special thanks to you for joining us and checking out the show. We'll do it again on Wednesday. Looking forward to it. Don't drink and drive. If you do, you're the dumbest person on the planet. Stay safe, stay healthy, stay sane. Back the pack and back the vac. Ooh, I got my booster shot appointment coming up here. That's pretty cool. I'm actually excited about that. We'll talk to you Wednesday. Thanks for joining us on the TreeCast with Troy Clarity on the Believe Podcast Network.